I came to praise the Lord today. Came to lift him up, to give glory to his name, to thank him for life, health, and strength, that he's fools with sinners such as ourselves. We can, I think we came in here a little bit too high. We got on our nice clothes, think we somebody today. But he said, don't think too highly of yourselves. Remember who you are. But by his grace, but by his mercy, do we have anything? In the early church, as a way of greeting one another after the resurrection, they would simply walk past someone they thought may be a follower of Jesus and say, he is risen. And the way that they knew if that person they were communicating this truth to loved Jesus just as they did, they will reply, he is risen indeed. So I just thought we have a little practice, even though we're in the 21st century. So if I was to say he is risen, I would only, I would only expect those who love Jesus, those who follow Jesus, worship Jesus, who know that they serve a risen Savior to reply by saying he is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise for his grace. Amen. On behalf of the entire Forest Baptist Church family, I'd just like to say welcome to you and to thank you for choosing to worship with us on this Easter Sunday. This day that we celebrate our risen Savior. Amen. Well, if you would, turn with me in your Bibles to John, the 20th chapter. If you're anything like me, Satan's been busy this week. He's been busy all week. He's busy this morning with his distractions. But that just lets me know that Jesus has a word for somebody, and he's trying to steal it by any means necessary. So as we look into this text, the Lord has us going a couple different places, but let's start with John, the the Gospel of John, the 20th chapter, beginning with verse 1. And if you would, please stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. If you're not able to stand, please stand with us in your hearts. John, the 20th chapter, beginning with verse 1. This is the authentic, sufficient, authoritative, infallible word of God. Hear the voice of Christ. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the tomb had been taken, that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. 
So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He, He saw the linen cloths lying there. And the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and saw, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus was laying, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father. To my God and your God, Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. I'd like to tag this text before us this morning, Lessons from an Empty Tomb. Lessons from an Empty Tomb tomb. Let us look to the Lord in prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, we come now desperate for you. Father, we're desperate for you to show off your glory in this place, for you are a good God. You are a faithful Father. You are constantly providing us freely with your mercy and grace, a mercy and grace that is in spite of ourselves, Lord, because we bring nothing to the table. So, Father, as we come before you this morning, we ask that you would reveal yourself to us. We ask that you would send forth your Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us. I ask, Lord, that you would superintend your word, that we would know you and be known by you. Father in heaven, I ask that you would open up blind eyes, give hearing to deaf ears, that you will soften our hearts, that we may receive your word with joy and gladness. Father, it's been a long week for a lot of us, and we know that between Satan 
the world and our flesh, there are constant distractions from communing with you, from pursuing you. So, Father, I ask right now that your spirit would give us rest right now. May your word go forth and break strongholds. May you break chains. Whatever stumbling blocks and hindrances it is to your word reaching, Lord, I ask right now you would take it away in the name of Jesus. Father, may you give us a deep delight and joy and gratitude for this day where we are celebrating Jesus Christ. For only through his shed blood and his broken body do we have fellowship with you. But Lord, none of that would mean a thing if he didn't get up. So Father, we thank you for getting up. And we ask that you will wake us up. That you will fill us with a resurrection power right now. That you will guard our minds and govern our hearts. That we would set our minds and our attention upon you at this moment right now. Oh, Father, may the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh, Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen. What are some important dates to you? I mean, other dates besides your birthday, somebody else's birthday. But what are some important dates to you in the life of your family, the life of your friends and loved ones? There are so many important dates to us because they have special meanings attached to each one of them. These moments are special because of how memorable they are, because for, for some reason, upon our memory has been etched this joyous celebratory occasion. So whenever we ponder these moments and whenever we think back, they bring delight and they bring happiness into our lives. These are important moments of our lives. And on this morning, for followers of Jesus Christ, today is an important date. For Christians celebrate what took place some 2,000 years ago, the resurrection of Jesus from the grave. Jesus dying the death we deserve on a real cross. His broken and beaten body being buried in a real tomb. And Jesus really getting up and walking out on the third day. This resurrection of Jesus has cosmological significance. It's more than just our lives. The resurrection of Jesus impacts creation itself. Through his life, death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus has removed sin, reconciled sinners, satisfied wrath, defeated death, conquered the grave, for the glory of the Father and for his name's sake. The bodily resurrection of Jesus is part of those first-tier doctrines that we hold so close. One author puts it this way, the resurrection is the hinge upon which all Christianity turns. If Jesus is not alive, we are wasting our time here today. 
In other words, the Apostle Paul lays out for us in 1 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, he says, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Verse 17, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Verse 19, he says, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, if we can only trust Christ in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. If Jesus is not risen, then we are missing out on a life of hedonism and pleasure. If Jesus were not alive, we might as well trade in our Bibles for blunts, beers, and beauties. But if Jesus did rise, if he rose from the grave, then he is King of kings and Lord of lords, worthy of our worship, the one to whom we all must give an account. For in the resurrection, it is the culmination of Christ's work here on earth. And now he is sitting at the right hand of the Father in majesty, far above all rule and power and authority and dominion. And he's been given a name that is above every name. So my prayer today is that the resurrection of Jesus is not a theological cute truth to you. That you merely give assent to, that you merely hear the story and you say you believe because you heard it time and time again growing up. My prayer is that you see the resurrection for yourself. Do you see the resurrection as vital to your everyday life? Do you just believe that Jesus rose from the grave or do you live like Jesus rose from the grave? Do you see the resurrection? That Jesus is alive and reigns over all creation right now? I pray this morning that you would see and you would believe. In this passage of Scripture, the Apostle John is writing, flushing out for us the story of how the resurrection took place. And we know the resurrection to be true just based upon the the sheer number of facts surrounding the, the life of the resurrection of Jesus. But a simple proof of the resurrection is the number of people who saw Jesus alive. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul talks about that he was buried, that he raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Most of them are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he also appeared to me. Jesus, when he rose from the grave, began almost like a part B of his ministry. And for 40 days, he would appear to his disciples moving in and out. And he's preparing them for his ascension into heaven. And in these eyewitness accounts, uh, these were more than just random run-ins with Jesus, but each encounter brought about personal transformation. Here in the text, John takes us through a number of these encounters, but there's one in particular I want us to look at, and that is his encounter with Mary. 
as he encountered his disciples, we see their heartbreak at the thought that Jesus may not possibly be, possibly be the Christ. But what Jesus is doing in the resurrection, he is rewriting a narrative that the religious folk tried to write. They tried to say, well, he really didn't get up. His disciples just came and got him. But as Jesus begins to interact with his former disciples, he is rewriting the narrative. He's rewriting the story about himself so that people would truly understand he is who he says he is. So through these transformational encounters, I pray that we would see and that we would believe Jesus. So here in the first first verse through verse 10 of chapter 20 is John's account of the resurrection. And what makes him slightly different from the other gospel writers is that he uses people as a type. So there are times he won't mention everybody who was at the party. But he wants us to see a type of person who would have been at the party and their response to Jesus. So in using Mary, he's showing this type of person who shows up, a faithful follower of Jesus, broken because her Savior has passed away. And he's laying out this story for us. So as we look at Mary in particular at verse 11, the text shows us that she is in pain and she is weeping. But the first thing, the first point that John wants us to see from the text is that the empty tomb says that Jesus loves us. Mary, she's at the tomb and she's, she's heartbroken. She is weeping. She is under so much grief and, and stress. As, and she comes back. She has just told the disciples that someone has taken Jesus' body. And she comes back to the tomb and she is standing in disbelief. Did the Roman soldiers come and get his body? to further desecrate it, to add insult to injury? Did some grave robber come who wanted to profit off a religious hero in their time? And she has this sense of of loss, this sense of despair, but she, she begins to move past that despair and walk up to the empty tomb. And once there, she stoops down and she sees two angels. This is surely a sign that God is about to do something. Whenever we see angels in the Bible, we know that God has a word for us. He begins to speak to her right there with the angels. He begins to demonstrate his love by sending these heavenly hosts down to sit where Jesus once lay. It's almost as if they was watching over Jesus' body as he lay. They're seated at his head and at his feet, and she looks in, and she's weeping. But what does the angel say to her? They say, woman, why are you weeping? The angels know something that she doesn't know. They already know that Jesus is alive. So, in, and they're with their divine perspective, they're looking at Mary. It's like, why is she crying? Jesus has already got up. This ain't a time to cry. This is a time to celebrate. But Jesus, in sending these angels to love on her, he, he don't critique her at that moment. But she doesn't even realize that she's speaking with angels. And she begins to have a conversation with them, and and she is crying out. She wants someone to help her. There's times in our life where we're in so much grief and so much despair, we just want somebody to help us. 
No one's been fighting on our behalf. And, and something, something beautiful, something blessed has been taken from us. And we want someone to help us get it back. She wants her Jesus. So she simply says, they have taken away my Lord. And I do not know where they have laid him. But as she even says that, she turns around and Jesus is standing there. And she begins to, to look to Jesus. Well, 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 maybe you can help. And her eyes are still dim. She doesn't see Jesus for who he is. Possibly it's, it's because of his resurrected body. It's all fresh and all new. It's so fresh and so clean. Because it's, not, it's not the beaten body, the broken body that was before the cross. Now this is his resurrected, glorified body. It's so new that she can't tell it's Jesus. Maybe it's the tears in her eyes, but whatever the case may be, she doesn't immediately understand that she's speaking right to the Savior. And she asks him, what's going on? But what does Jesus do even first? He says, woman, the same question, why are you weeping? Why are you crying? This is a time for celebration. And she thought he, she thinks he's the gardener, so she just says to him, sir, if you've taken his body, could you please tell me we have laid him and I will take him away? A crazy moment for Jesus because in, in a sense he has taken the body. He's taken the body up out of the tomb. He has demonstrated his resurrection power. He has shown everyone he is who he says he is. So as he is speaking with her, he, he simply says, now, Mary. He calls her name and everything changes. That pain she had in her heart begins to remove because Jesus has called her name. The sense of loss and brokenness now transform into love and devotion because Jesus has called her name. And just by calling her name, Jesus begins to remind her of their past relationship. She turns and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbi, she remembers that this is my teacher. This is the man I've walked with for three years. This is the man who came and got me out of demonic possession. The text tells us that Mary Magdalene was possessed by not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, not six, but seven demons was possessing her. And so when she looks at Jesus, she, she sees this is the one who has delivered me. Just by calling her name, he's reminding her of their relationship. And she, and she now begins to remember all the times that they have walked from city to city. And he has been healing, delivering, and he's been victorious. He's been calling other people from the grave. He's reminding her of their love. And he begins to remove this pain. I believe here that Jesus is, is showing that he is a promise keeper. Turn with me to John, the 15th chapter. See, the empty tomb says Jesus loved us because he laid down his life. John, the 15th chapter, beginning with verse 12. Jesus is speaking. He said, this is my commandment, 
that you love one another as I have loved you. And what does he say in verse 13? Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. At the empty tomb, we see that Jesus has laid down his life for his friends. At the tomb, Jesus has given up his entire uh, estate, his entire being, but and in him getting up, he is showing that I love you. And when we look at the empty tomb, we have to understand and realize that if Jesus loved a demon-possessed woman, it don't matter what hell you've been causing, he can love you too. It's almost, it like reminds me of a man who, who works all the time. And the way that men show their love a lot of times is by working hard to provide for their family. So in in providing for their family, a man may not be home all the time. If he's showing genuine love to his family, he ain't got time to sit on the couch all the time. If if he's really loving on his family, he's not in the man cave. He's, He's out taking and handling business for the family. That's how men show love a lot of times. So he, he's gone. He's doing something. So when we see the empty tomb, we see that Jesus is about his business. Jesus is not laying around. He is demonstrating his love for us through the empty tomb. See the love that Jesus has for us. But not only do, at, uh, do we see Jesus' love for us at the tomb, we see in the empty tomb, Jesus says, I will always be with you. I will always be with you. Verse 17. Jesus says to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and to them. I am ascending to my Father and and your Father, to my God and your God. Now, that's a a strange and and weird-sounding text, but what Jesus is saying, don't hold on me too tight right now. I ain't gone nowhere yet. There's going to be a time where I do ascend to the Father, my Father and your Father, my God and your God, but I'm not leaving yet. And in this statement, what Jesus is saying, our relationship, though we have a past of love, is going to be changing a little bit. See, but it's a good change for you because in order for for you to have my presence, I won't always have to be with you. In order for you to embrace me, I won't always have to be present. I won't always have to be in arm's length. Jesus is saying in this, in this moment right here to Mary, I will always be with you. And the way that that takes place is when Jesus ascends to the Father, he says he's going to send us a helper. And the helper is going to live within us so we don't have to wait on Jesus to speak to us because Jesus is in us. We don't have to wait for Jesus out there because Jesus is in here now. And wherever we go, guess who's there? Jesus. Turn with me to John, the 14th chapter. Jesus cashes in on another promise here. In verse 12, the 14th chapter, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And the greater works that 
then these will he do. Why? Because I am going to the Father. He's ascending. Skip down with me to verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to to be with you. How long? Forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. In verse 18, what does he say? I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Jesus is cashing in a promise that he will always be with us, that he would never leave us nor forsake us. When Jesus is saying, don't cling to me, he's saying, don't hold me too tight because you won't have me when I go. And if we know that Jesus is always walking with us when we face the trials, when we face the issues, when we face the hard times of life, we know we're not going through this moment on our own. That Jesus is is walking right with me. Jesus is carrying me and Jesus will talk to me. In different seasons of life, we relate to people differently. I'm learning even in, 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 in my life, things are changing. But they're not changing for bad, they're changing for good. So when we look at this empty tomb, understand that we don't have to have a physical Jesus to protect us. We don't have to have a physical Jesus to love us. We know that Jesus is ours when he will send forth his Holy Spirit. The empty tomb says Jesus will always love us. The empty tomb says Jesus loves us. He will always be with us. But also, thirdly, the empty tomb says Jesus has a plan for us. Verse 18 of the text, Jesus says, go tell your brothers. So Mary Magdalene, she, she goes, and she goes to tell the, the disciples, and she doesn't start by telling them what, uh, everything that Jesus says. She just starts by saying, I've seen the Lord. I have seen the Lord. This, this woman that Jesus wants to, uh, to, to use for his purposes, he, he has a plan for her. This woman where the society would have been overlooking her, not validating her, not giving her a voice. Jesus says, I'm going to give you a voice. And her, her, her formerly brokenness, uh, broken woman, Jesus is building her, building her up and says, I can use anybody. I'm going to use you to proclaim a word on my behalf. Jesus is speaking life back into her. Now look here, she's not crying, she's not weeping no more because Jesus has turned her pain into purpose. She's been overlooked, but not by Jesus. She's been brokenhearted, but not because of Jesus. And I love, I I was looking at the text, and I love what Jesus does. He's so slick and he's so sweet. In revealing to Mary that he has a plan for her, watch what he does. He calls her a number of times. In verse 15, Jesus calls her woman. Jesus is calling her woman because he needs her attention. She's distracted. He knows he already has a plan for her, but he needs to get her attention, so he calls her woman. Then Jesus calls her a second time in verse 16. Then he says to her, Mary, calls her by name. Now he wants to show her some affection. 
he gains her attention, he, he gives her affection, but then thirdly, he calls her in verse 17 and he gives her an assignment to do. See, when Jesus wants to work with you, sometimes he, he gives you a warning because he just wants to get your attention. And I don't know about you, sometimes when, when you're in those streets and when you ain't doing what you're supposed to do, God has a way of getting your attention. When I'm not listening, when I'm being disobedient, when I'm, when I'm living a life that I want to live. When I want to be the God of my own life, when I say things like, don't tell me what to do, I'm grown. And when I tell, when I say things like, oh, oh that, that's, that's my business, don't even worry about it, no, that's my business. God has a way of getting your attention. It may be a, it may be a car wreck, it may be a, a pink slip. It may be some sickness, it may be disease, it may be some other folks in your house acting a fool, but God has a way of getting your attention and when he wants to call you. When he has a plan for you, he gets your attention, but then he showers you with affection. Because when Jesus calls you by name, he's saying that I'm not embarrassed by what you used to be. When he calls you by name, he said, we have some type of uh, affiliation, some association. I'm not scared that people know I know you. And when you come this way, I'm not turning around, but I know your name. He's pouring out affection upon her right now just by calling her name. But a lot of times, that's where we get stuck. Jesus has, has, has gained our attention. He has lavished upon us affection. But we don't want no assignments. Now, Jesus, we got this good thing going on now. You stay on your side of the room, and I stay on my side of the room. Don't, I do some things for you, but I ain't doing everything. I'll go some of the way for you, but I ain't going all the way. So when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, are you picking up the assignments that Jesus is giving to you? Can Jesus count on you? Can Jesus give you a task and know it's going to be completed? Can, can, can Jesus give you something and know it's going to be done with the spirit of excellence? Or, or do you show up? Well, you know, it's church. Uh, I'll be late, but that's okay. You know, I come in, uh, I may sing, but I ain't, I ain't getting, I ain't gonna sweat. I just bought this outfit. Nah, nah, you know, Jesus, it don't take all that to love you. When Jesus calls Mary, what is her reaction? She doesn't ask, well, Jesus, uh, how much time is this going to take? Well, Jesus, how much is this going to cost me? Jesus, what would everybody else say about me? She says, no, I'm gone. I have seen the Lord. When Jesus called you, were you ready to go? Have you gotten up and done something because God has a plan for your life? See, your plan is not my plan. See, that's why in Hebrews, that's why he says don't forsake the fellowship of saints. Why is he saying that? Because, because so somebody used that scripture to make you go to church? No. 
he's saying in the text right below it, so that we can encourage and edify and lift one another up. What he's saying is you have a specific, special gifting that only you have that when you come to church, you give it and bless us with it. And when you ain't here, guess what? We don't get your gift. Jesus has assigned you for the mission, but you're being selfish with the gift. What would the church be like if everyone was actively involved and engaged serving how God wants them to serve? Not for profit, not for notoriety, and not for power, but just because we love Jesus. Just because he called your name. He wants to use us. When we look over these world events, it's easy to think like, oh, goodness, what's going on? We, are we about to go to war again? And world events can scare us. But whenever, if ever, an army is called, it is a call to mobilize on behalf of the United States. Whatever may take place, if war breaks out, hear me now, if war breaks out, the United States needs some soldiers on the front lines. And I'm just here to tell you today that war has already broke out. And we're fighting a foe named Satan. And he has his demons and his minions. And he's been taking you out all week. He's been tempting you to the left. He's been tempting you to the right. Satan has been on your head. He's been knuckling you up. And God is saying that when I issue a call to mobilize, I need some foot soldiers who are going to fight this battle. That's you and me. He has an, an assignment for us to do. He kind of hints at this at, in John, the, the, 20, the same chapter, verse 19, when he begins to reveal himself to the disciples. They've locked themselves up on this first Easter day. They're they're fearful that the same authorities that have crucified Jesus will be coming for them. But while they're in there, Jesus just asked how he walked out the grave. The doors locked, the windows are shut, everybody's still, and Jesus just slips in the room. No, no, he ain't climbing through a window. He ain't falling through the roof, coming through a chimney. He shows up. And what does he speak over them? Peace. Peace. Peace be with you. He's not saying peace has no altercation. He says, because I've got up, you have peace. He speaks peace over them. And as he is speaking peace over them, he says, now, nah, I, I give you peace, not just so you be happy, but you have peace for your mission. He says, peace be with you. And then what does he say? Verse 21, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. You got an assignment. And when he, verse 22, and when he has said this, he breathed on them, and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. He's, the Holy Spirit's going to come on you. We see this taking place at Pentecost. And then he says something crazy. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. 
What is Jesus talking about? Jesus is telling us that when we are on assignment for him, when we are preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that our, our Savior got up out the grave, that when we go to someone and they receive that word with joy and delight and they repent of their sin and trust in Jesus Christ, he said their sins are forgiven. You can declare and decree right then when someone surrenders to the call of Jesus, their sins are forgiven. But what does he say? But if you withhold forgiveness from any, it's withheld. Forgiveness is withheld from anyone who does not repent, who does not turn from living for their self to living for Jesus. That's what it is. What, what are you doing with your sin? Have you been forgiven? How, how are you dealing with the, the burden that sin brings? You think someone's following you, watching your every step, but that's just sin sitting on your shoulder. You, you think you, you're, you have anxiety and need medication because you, you, you got heart palpitations. No, that's just sin. David talks about how his bones uh, were, were broken and, and his stomach was in knots because of sin. When sin get a hold of you, what, what do you do with your sin? Do you, do you slip in extra 20 at church? Do you go to Sunday school this week? Do you, do you call your friend and, and tell them what you did and get a kick out of it? What do you do with your sin? Because the word says that on judgment day, that, that's going to determine where you end up, in glory or in hell, because based upon what you've done with your sin, and the forgiveness of sin only comes through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Sin doesn't just disappear off in the atmosphere. Someone has to deal with that sin. And glory be to God that Jesus has dealt with sin on the the cross. And when we repent and turn towards him, our sin is dealt with too. Go and repent and get you a good night's sleep. The empty tomb says Jesus loves us. The empty tomb says Jesus will always be with us. The empty tomb says Jesus has a plan for us. But then lastly, the empty tomb says Jesus is Lord. Verse 18, what's Mary's declaration? I have seen the Lord. Now the connotation for Lord right here isn't so much Lord and Savior, it's, it's more like master. But as she is going to tell the news of Jesus' arrival, she is bringing that message of hope that will transform into that declaration of Jesus is Lord of all creation. And this happens in the passage between the 24th verse and the 28th verse. Of this chapter. In that chapter, in verse 24 of the 20th chapter, we meet one of the disciples, Thomas. It says, Now Thomas was one of the twelve called twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. 
Jesus had showed up to the disciples. He wasn't there. And so, so naturally, when Thomas comes, they say, hey, we've seen Jesus. Jesus is alive. But Thomas doesn't believe him. He says, unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I would never believe. See, y'all ain't see Jesus. Y'all saw a ghost or something. Y'all hallucinating it. Y'all off that stuff. Jesus ain't, he ain't alive. I never believe. What does Jesus do? Eight days later. For us, that's one week. His disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although, again, the doors was locked, Jesus came and stood amongst them and said, Peace be with you. But what does he say this time? Verse 27, then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas, I heard what you said. I wasn't even here, but I heard you. I know you was talking about me. Talking about you wouldn't believe me. But what kind of Savior do we have who meets us where we are in our disbelief and doubt? What kind of Savior condescends to stubborn sinners such as ourselves and makes it so clear, so plain? Thomas, I'm going to meet you where you are. You say you don't believe, I'm going to show up anyway. Thomas, you said you want to see my wrist. Here's my wrist. Thomas, you said you want to touch my scars. Here my scars. Thomas, you wanted to place your hand on my side with it. Thomas, just touch me. Touch me. So you won't disbelieve anymore. Jesus is Lord because he meets sinners in their brokenness and gives them what they need to believe. And Jesus has already given you what you need to believe. Just believe. Call upon the name of Jesus. Repent and believe. What other miracle do you need for Jesus to break through to you today? Does he need to save you from another traffic accident? Does he need to get you up out of another sick bed? Does he need to give you another job? Does he need to keep you on the job again? When you know you ain't doing the work, you know your boss is supposed to fire you four times over, and you still got a job. If that ain't Jesus, what else do you need to know that Jesus loves you and he wants to, uh, wants to be in relationship with you? This is the Lord. And from this awesome display of kindness, this all, is, this all it is is kindness. What happens? Thomas is broken. And he just answers, verse 28, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. This is the culmination of this passage. It is all turning to this moment where Jesus is declared Lord and God. The empty tomb says Jesus is Lord because of his kindness towards us. To love stubborn, 
hard-headed, backbiting, foolish, fickle sinners like ourselves. Guess what? He'll meet you where you are. You still buzzing from last night. He will meet you where you are. You still smell like a blunt. He will meet you where you are. She dropped you off at church this morning. He will meet you where you are. No matter where you've been, what you've been into, Jesus, because he's Lord, he he has the authority and the power to remove sin because he shed his blood on Calvary's cross, but he took up his life, picked it up on the third day. Where are you today? Where are you today with God? Is God your creator, your sustainer, your all in all, the one who who has given life, the one who is holy and worthy to be worshipped, the one whom you have to give an account to of your life? Who is God to you today? And what is man to you? Who are we? Are we a moral people who just need to be guided in the right direction? Or are we sinful and wicked by nature? And we understand, and you understand how evil you really are and what you really deserve. Do you understand your brokenness that apart from the redeeming blood of Christ, that you have no hope, that you have no help, that you can't call on anybody to get you out apart from Jesus? And do you realize that Jesus is Lord? That through him is eternal life alone. Knowing all that, how will you respond today? Is Jesus just a religious hero to you? Or is Jesus Lord of your life? Is the empty tomb a nice story you've listened to over the years? Or is the empty tomb a part of your everyday life? The lessons we learn from an empty tomb this morning reminds us, communicates to us, tells us that Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed. Let us pray. Lord God, thank you for your kindness and your mercy towards us, that you are still willing to meet us where we are. In spite of our foolishness, in spite of our sin, that you will Forgive us for all our iniquity and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Father, thank you for the witness. Thank you for what you have communicated and taught us from this empty tomb. For the empty tomb is just not a a place in the ground. But the empty tomb needs to be with us to remind us everything that you have already accomplished for your glory and for your name's sake. Father, may we exalt and praise your name with such freedom because there's an empty tomb. Father, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. Now, Father, I ask that you would draw someone by your kindness and your love.
For your glory and namesake, we do pray. Amen.